0: This episode is brought to you by Dunnings, your local distributor of quality fuels and lubricants throughout Western Australia. Dunnings Fuel operate their fleet of trucks 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Dunnings keeps the whole state running. Find out more at dunningsfuel.com.au Ariat boots and clothing work hard, look good and are so comfortable there's never a need to slow down. Visit ariat.com.au today.
1: Listeners are advised that this episode discusses suicide and may not be suitable for all audiences. The first year out of school is equally exciting and terrifying. You're considered an adult by society, and with that comes both freedoms and responsibilities. With her high school experience not being the best, and her first job on a cattle station getting off to a rocky start, Pitt Bain felt like she had finally found her feet, only to learn that her mother had passed away by suicide. The profound loss of her mother was only amplified by the shock as Pip learnt she had been sheltered from her mother's mental health struggles. In this episode, Pip shares her story of how the next decade of her life would be shaped by losing her mother and how it led her to take the long way around to find her place in this world. Head back to episode 35 to hear our first episode with Pip. Where she discusses her early life growing up on a cattle station in the Gascoyne region of Western Australia. Pip, welcome back to the podcast.
2: Oh, thanks, Steph. And um, yeah, apologies straight up for everyone to having to listen to my oh, voice again. Oh, <laughs> hush,
1: hush. So we had the best laid plans. We recorded your first episode in, I want to say. Like February, March, last April year.
2: 2020.
1: Oh, so COVID had hit. It was
2: smack bang in the heist of COVID. That's right. Mm. So I
1: remember we were for I think, episode 35. Um, we recorded outside socially distanced with long distances between us. I think it was
2: through a screen door, wasn't it?
1: Oh, yeah, it was too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You were at the, um, Yes, you were sitting inside and I was outside. Yeah. Cause that was, yep. I also did that with Caitlin Mills and people can hear some, um, I was, I really listened to the episode on the way up here and there's some serious, like it sounds like it's raining at one point, but it's just like the wind going through.
2: And then there uh, the breeze, birds. And there's <laughs> birds and everything because
1: I was the one taking one for the team sitting outside in what felt like the longest wet season ever, because even though it was April, it was still yeah pretty warm.
2: Yeah, well, you can imagine how it felt for little Midwester here,
1: who had never... <laughs> Sitting inside in the air con, whatever.
2: <laughs> yeah, that was a bit of a rude shock, Um but yeah.
1: Yeah. It, but here we are, back in the Midwest. Exactly, exactly. So, it's taken us only a year and a half. Uh, it's now December. Not December, God, November.
2: Not far off it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh, 2021 to record your second episode. So for our listeners who haven't listened to your first episode, uh, I would go back and listen to I would it. say stop. Don't <laughs> bother listening to this one, to be honest. Like stop and go back and get the contest because it is quite important. We spoke about in your first episode your childhood growing up on a cattle station in the Gascoyne area of Western Australia.
2: Yeah, yep. Which is, um, yeah, it was all pretty idyllic. And yeah, like Steph said, go back and have a listen to it. And then, We'll hear you and you'll we'll hear us in an hour. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. And we finished up the episode. So we kind of went through Pip's younger years growing up on a cattle station. Um, then her family left the station to kind of move into farming and sort of that transition. But Pip found her way back into the pastoral industry and her first year out of school. Um, you went working on a cattle station and, and yeah. it was, it was an interesting conversation because it wasn't your typical. Um, like you discussed, you'd had a few issues in school, you know, that wasn't the easiest of rides for you. Mm. And then your first year out working on a station wasn't the easiest for you and, uh, ended or, or partway through you moved from the stock camp to the kitchen.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely think that first year out of school for a lot of kids can be really, really difficult. And I actually, um, yeah, skip forward, you know, 10 years. So, um, yeah, a bit of a, um, Uh, what's it called kill kill joy but um skip forward 10 years I ended up back on on the station and working once again with a young girl who I just looked at this kid and went I know exactly how you feel because she was going through exactly what I went through um and it just made me realize that there's not a lot out there in the world anymore to support these kids coming up through the industry there's no one out there really to teach them the ropes um in, you know, they're sort of just sort of thrown in the deep end sometimes and expected to know things. Um, and I think you put a, the wrong kid in the wrong environment and you can, you can cook them pretty quick, which is unfortunately what I think happened.
1: Yeah. And, and our episode also ended on a very sad note that, so while you, you sort of found your feet on the station, your season, um, finished with you learning that your mother had passed away.
2: Yeah. And- yeah. And that was, and I mean, I guess that's, that's what's made me who I am today, one way or another. Um, but, yeah, so my mum suffered serious, serious mental health issues um, and, yeah, unfortunately took her own life um, on the home farm, which was, yeah, very traumatic for my whole family. Um, the the family I was working for rushed me back down to Geraldton. They were Everyone was so supportive. I was, and I think I said it in the last episode, um, we as a family could not have coped the way we did without our community. And um, yeah, it was very touching.
1: So, I, I, what we discussed off air before recording was that for this episode we were sort of going to pick up from where we left off on the last episode, which is when you'd just found out about your mum, um, and kind of follow your journey from there to where you are now, um, Mm. which is basically a decade and, and really there's so many things that have uh, impacted your journey, but I suppose the the most pivotal moment was probably losing your mum, particularly in the way that you did. And that has really, yeah, I suppose shaped your last 10 years. Mm. Um, it's hard enough being a young person trying to find your way in the world.
2: Yeah. And then, and then throw something like that where like you lose your rock in. Yeah. yeah. Um so yeah, so introduce wind chime music. Let's fade back. Eleven <laughs> Hang years. on. I
1: think I have one of those sound effects. <laughs> oh no, that's the cricket one. You can't hear I was it. Say Hang, I on. Something. Hang on. There is one here. So Pip actually opted not to wear earphones during this <laughs> recording, so she actually just didn't hear that. But that is the exact I know that's the exact sound effect that you were <laughs> was that was you going were aiming for? for. So so, yeah. yeah, take me back to, um, I suppose, you know, yeah, you, you finished your first year out in the station and then mm-hmm. came home.
2: So, yeah, so came home, um, I mean, as anyone who's lost a loved one would understand, um, had to go through the funeral arrangements. And I guess, um, and I haven't, I've only just learned this recently. I definitely did not grieve. Um, uh, I'm not going to say properly or enough or anything like that, but, um, I definitely didn't process the whole situation very well. Um, I was definitely a very lost little soul. And, um, this little lost soul sort of got swept up into a V8 land cruiser. And, <laughs> and um, by April the next year, I found myself in the territory, um, on Alexandria, um, which is Napco company. Um, I was, I, Oh, it's all a bit of a blur, really, because I, 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 when I say I got swept up into a Viet Land Cruiser, uh, that's not a joke. <laughs> I, I don't ever really remember making the plans or saying yes or no to anything. I just sort of, next thing I knew, I was on my way to the territory. And I think it was just that I didn't really want to be around home and I was just looking for anything to escape, um, the situation that I was in.
1: So and when you say V8 land cruiser, you're, that's code for a boy.
2: Yeah. Yep. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I got chased around Geraldton by a, um, yeah, pretty good looking pilot and he had, um, been given the job as fixing pilot at Alexandria. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are still very good friends to today. So Scott, if you're <laughs> listening, all the way from Canada, um, yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, so that was, I, I'm actually, you know what, looking back, I couldn't have ended up in a better place. Like Alexandria was exactly what I needed for the headspace that I was in at the time. Um, I, I will admit I did have a pretty big accident on my first day at work, um, so, I was working under – so, Ross and Robin Peatling were managing the property at the time um, and I was working in the wiener camp and first day on the job, um, I got hit in the gate – hit in the face by a gate. So, kids, if you're listening, put your foot on the gate and do not throw gates.
1: <laughs> Remembering that this is coming from a, a young woman who had grown up on a cattle station, yep. then a farm. Like she yep. was not new to the industry nope. and you still lost – how many teeth did you lose? Four teeth. Four teeth on your yep. – f- and on your first day first on the job. First
2: day, top. yep. So I, I don't care what the stockman says to you, just – just follow even string, <laughs> just just hear my voice in the back of your head if anyone ever says, oh, no,
1: just throw that gate, it'll be right. And so this is when you were – so you were chaining a gate? Were you no, so it was one
2: of those – it was a homemade self-latching gate. I've heard that it got removed <laughs> not long after I left. Um, but, yeah, and, but it was one of those things where common sense should have overridden and I just didn't have enough common sense back then. So, um, yeah, yeah napco um were great the heat flew me back to wa um and i got to come home for two weeks um and to have my teeth sort of not well they they definitely weren't in my head anymore but um have some falsies put in for a bit and i flew back to alex and when i got back there everyone was like oh we never thought you'd come back
1: Yeah, it's a bit of a shame job. I'm not going to lie. First day on the job.
2: And I, and I jammed my finger in a gate as well. So I was missing a fingernail and my front teeth. (laughs) It's great.
1: Winner, winner. What an image. What can I ask you? Like, what is your headspace at that time? I just, I'm just thinking back to the end of our last episode. You'd also mentioned, I believe, that you weren't aware of your mum's. Mental no. health issues when, so when you learnt that she'd, um, passed by suicide, that was a, so, so Massive you've got, shock. yeah, so you've got losing a parent and losing a parent that way. Mm. Um, then like you said, you kind of, you didn't want to be around home and you, you know, and you, but also you didn't this, know
2: where I wanted to be. I think but i very lost.
1: 18 year old in a yeah. way does, but then you've got to add these elements onto it. Um, you know, you're just out of school. You've got that freedom. You're an adult. You can drink. You can. Yeah. Drive, you can buy things, you can earn money. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a cute boy that says, Let's go have an adventure up north. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um then I'm just thinking, even even if none of these other things had happened, it would still be pretty hard to come back to the job after having such a memorable first day.
2: You know, what, it um, didn't faze me. Really? I, I, I would have like, I think I So, um, I, I will admit, like, I was going back, you know, um, I was going back for love, like, all what I thought was love. Um, and yeah, so I was, I was actually really excited to go home. Uh, so go back to Alexandria, I mean, oh, God, here I go. I loved it so much. I was calling it home. Um, so yeah, no, I was, I was really keen and I will admit, like, things didn't go great when I got back, but I, like I said before, it, it was such an incredibly supportive family in the end, um, that I, I would, looking back, I would
1: never have thought twice either way, I don't think. I just. Don't, don't hold out on the details, Pip. What happened on the way back to Alex? This is a safe space oh, you sorry, can share. Oh, Scott. <laughs> yeah, Scott. No, you know what? If Scott didn't want this story told. Well, he's happily
2: married now, so I don't feel so bad. Exactly,
1: but <laughs> he's had his happy ending. He's fine.
2: Um, yeah. Unfortunately, things were going downhill. I think with us, I, you know, I was, I was so young. I was very messed up in the head. Um, and yeah, so I had flown all the way back across Australia, and then, um, you know, back across the other side of Queensland. Um, and yeah. Scott and I split up that night, the night before I got back out to Alex.
1: I find it very interesting the way you've told this story on air versus off air. <laughs> <laughs> well, just that you, you're taking, you seem to be shouldering a lot of the responsibility and blame here and you're, whereas, you know, I mean, and there's always two sides to a story or more than two sides and each person's side and then the truth or whatever, you know, whatever they say. But, um, yeah, you, you know, you just, I find it interesting then that you're like, Oh, I was really messed up in Henra. Like you seem to be like, you know, um, not making excuses, but kind of taking all the responsibility for this. Yeah. But, but for whatever was going on, the, the, the gist of it was that you went there with him. And yeah. then when you're on the bus on the way back, he broke up with you.
2: Um, I was just about to
1: get on the bus. just about to get on the bus yeah. and he was like, um, yeah. so, so but I think it's important to that I, <laughs> that that part of the story is told regardless of what was happening in the relationship because what I find so impressive is that you're about to go back to this job and your partner, he breaks up with you and you still went back and you stayed yeah. there and you worked there and you made it work, which is, again, so some people may have struggled to come back um, because of, you know, being embarrassed or whatever for mm. the accident um, or ashamed,
2: People so lost, you, people lost a lot of money from me coming home. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Apparently, there were bets on. And a lot of people <laughs> lost.
1: <laughs> but but then you've got this extra. I just think it's incredible that yeah. Like then you've got to add some heartbreak on top of this because you yeah. know you, you it's yeah. and I was and so I many remember, people would be like oh oh help like nah, and just turn yeah, and, you know run.
2: um and I, I don't and it's funny because I do remember that little snippet quite vividly. And not once did it cross my mind to turn around and go home. I and, have- and it was something. We along are such the lines- <laughs> different people. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was something along the lines of like you can just imagine like so. I drove to the territory, so you can just imagine the size of my suitcase, um, and then you can imagine the size of the bag that I was allowed to take on the plane um, in the back of like a little Cessna one hundred and fifty to get into Mount Isa when I had an accident. So I, all my stuff was still at Alex. And I guess that was half of it was I was like, well, I kind of have to go back there at some stage to get my stuff. Um, and all this stuff was going on. And, and like I said before, I, I, some like I didn't want to be home. I just, I needed, I knew that I needed to do something. And I just happened to land. Yeah. I, I landed on my feet when it came to Alex.
1: Tell me more about your time at Alex then and, so when you, I guess, suppose you had your second start. Yeah. Your second yep. first day.
2: <laughs> Round two, ding ding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So straight into stock camp then. And I was working for, uh, Ross and Robin's son, Richard. Hi, Richard. I'm pretty sure he listens. Um, oh,
1: really? That's exciting. <laughs> yeah. Richard I would love to have your dad on the <laughs> yeah. podcast. He's a bit of a legend. So, um,
2: he is a bloody legend and to this day is still one of my favorite bosses. I, there was a wing of us girls working for him. Um, yeah, Nikki's still a really good friend today. Um, like literally I've made friends there that have lasted for life. Um, and I guess it was really important to have that Richard as that role model, because if he said jump, we said how high and he would jump just as high with us. Like he was there with us every step of the way. Um, he was pretty patient, and very willing to teach us stuff. So if we looked like we didn't know what we were doing, instead of just yelling at us and, you know, making us look like a fool, he would show us and, well, I, yeah, definitely myself and re- he'd get a lot of work out of us that way and then he wouldn't really get cranky until, you know, someone would get arrogant with him or chat him, or which is completely understandable um, and, of course, then, Yes, yeah, so we just—I know—we just all got along really, really well. And I always felt like being camped out, and I think there was like three of us girls, three or four boys, and Richard and the cook. And we were just a massive family. We just were all really close. Um, there was definitely like the ups and downs. There was definitely fights. There was definitely—you know—you'd never see the camp during daylight because you'd be gone, you know, before sunrise in the morning, and you wouldn't come back till after dark. Um, Like it was – I've never worked so hard in my life and it was a massive wake-up call, but it was different to Yanri in the way that we were all on the same level. There was no hierarchy. We were all just jillaroos and jackaroos. Richard was the boss and there was no questions about it and that I needed that. I, I didn't need to be fighting for my role in the camp. I just needed to be able to work and do my job. And at the end of the day, feel
1: good about myself, which I did. So I don't know how to, um, how to ask this. Like I don't, I'm not trying to continuously bring your mum up. Um, but I suppose what we discussed beforehand is that this episode is really about, I suppose a big part, the main part of it is, is uh, dissecting and discussing your journey and what you've done. Uh, in the last 10 years and how a lot of that has, you know, has been shaped by what happened. So, mm. But it, in a way it feels a bit weird for me to be like, you know, you just share a happy memory and then I'm like, now back to your mum. <laughs> Remember
2: that shit thing that happened in yeah, your life? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> no, it's fine, honestly. And I think, um and like I said at the very beginning, losing mum shaped me and made me who I am today. Yeah. So, and I often wonder who I would be with with her still here, um, probably a lot more mentally stable. But <laughs> but in saying that, without losing her, I don't think I would have had the opportunity to do the growth that I've had to do. Um, and it does, it makes you a lot more resilient having to go through something like that. And I don't think, I'm not saying that, you know, someone has to go through something like losing a parent at the age of 18 to become resilient, but it definitely quickened the process up for me. And for everyone, that life lesson will be completely different. Um, but it's not until you have that life lesson that you're like, oh, yeah. this is reality. This is, you know, life isn't all butterflies and daisies. It's, there's a lot of blood, sweat, tears, a lot of tears. Um, and I think that's, now I'm going to jump back to Alex. I think that's what Alex taught me was that, Life isn't all peaches and there are days that are going to be really, really sh- not great, <laughs> um, but there are, you, I, I learnt so much and I thrive off learning. I'm not, um, you and I have been talking about my memory te- retention, um, so I'm not a fast learner, um, but I always feel like once I have learnt something, um, I, I feel really good about myself so I think that's where Alex really gave me the little boost I needed and I might not have I might not have learned that as quickly if it hadn't been for losing mum because I wouldn't have been that low down the like I wouldn't have yeah
1: I wouldn't have needed picking up as much as what I did I suppose the other thing for context for our listeners is that we're pretty good friends Oh, uh, we've spoken. <laughs> Pip's just looking at me like, uh, are, are we? Um, Do you want me to read out the abusive messages he was sending me? <laughs> I was not. Pip was supposed to be back <laughs> at her house recording this a few hours ago and what was supposed to be just loading some cattle on a truck this morning and I'll be back by nine, saw her walk in the door at like one o'clock and –
2: Hashtag fun life. Yeah. And I was like,
1: hashtag, guy just drove 400 kilometers to record this episode with you. Cause you love
2: me, Steph. Yeah, I do. And cause
1: we're, so we're good friends and we've spoken about your mum and your life a lot off air. So if, if some of these discussions seem, um, blunt or abrasive or, you know, very forward by me, I suppose, just mm. to give people the context. That it's, oh, and I'm not
2: backwards of coming forwards, forwards about it. Honestly.
1: Yeah, so. yeah. So. But I suppose I, I'm, I'm wondering, like, when you went up to Alex, do you tell people, hey, um, my mum just died and she died in this way or do you keep that to yourself or do you think people are going to treat you different because of that?
2: Yeah, so, okay, really interesting you brought this up. Um when I was having my interview with Ross, um, I, I it was just subconscious. I just didn't bring it up at all. Um, Dab was my emergency contact, um, and there were just no questions asked. And I never told anyone. Obviously, partner at the time knew, um but, yeah, like literally no one knew. And the only reason someone found out was because I had a photo of mum pinned on my wall and one of the, you know, we were all having a bit of a drinking session in my room one night. <laughs> oh, God, we were have so much fun back then. Um, and someone said, oh, who's that? And I was like, oh, that's um, I think I must have said that was my mum or I must have said it in a past tense and they all went, oh, like like what happened? And, and then, Anyway, and I will never forget the shock of their faces when they realised that I'd only just lost my mum not even six months ago um, and me being like, well, what of it? Like, you know, I, I think I'd already – and this is where the pastoral growing up on a station and stuff, I guess, kind of prepared me for this because I was like – It's life with life comes death. And so, and as much as you know, I, you know, was, um, very, you know, I I longed for my mum. The thought of her not being here anymore at that time,
1: it was just like, Oh, she's gone. Like, I, I can't bring her back. Do you not think, though, that that was – I love I'm turning this into a cancer session. I'm just going <laughs> to psychoanalyse you. Do you not think Lord that was – Lord knows I need it. <laughs> do you not think that was perhaps also maybe just like a massive case of denial and just oh God, and just yeah. not acknowledging, yeah. you know, just yeah, putting walls up and just, yeah. just not
2: like um, I didn't want to talk about it with people, but I didn't – actually, you know what it, the biggest thing, and it's not something I realized until after it happened, was I didn't want people to feel sorry for me. I did not want people to treat me differently because I'd lost my mum, and I did not want people to be like, um, you know, if I got upset or angry or something like that, people not, yeah, people treat me differently because of that. And I, it was a subconscious thing. It's not something I walked into the into Alexandria like, right? I'm going to be this tough nut who doesn't talk about her mum. It was just, I don't know, just it's who I was
1: at the time. I think more than anything. So how did the rest of the season go, Alex, after that?
2: Oh, yes. Now you get into the romance of the horses and the cattle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is the fun part. So, um, yeah, stock camp life was just – loved it. Um, We got given our own colts. So we all got to – the colts were broken in and then we got to, um, like, ride them, give them all their – you know, put them on cattle and, and break we weren't breaking them in, we were just wet saddlecloths, lots of wet saddlecloths, which I loved. I'd never ridden many young horses before um, and I just I loved being on a horse behind, you know, 3,000 head of cattle. Um, we would do, you know, walks that were so long and the Barclay Tableland is so flat that I'll never forget leaving a mill one day. And seeing this tiny little speck on the horizon and Richard being like, Oh, yeah, that's that's where we're going tonight. And all day, like <laughs> all you could see was this tiny speck. Um, and I can't, I can't remember how far we walked that day, but, um, the days were long and hard and dusty. And I reckon I loved every single minute of it. So yeah, we had that. Um, and like yard work was always really good. The cattle there were. Relatively quiet, like I, I think I only got snotted a couple of times by cows. Um, uh, man, I was a rodeo, probably to this day, still the best
1: weekend of my life. <laughs> um, hello, you're sitting here with me today, like okay, right, like, you know, it's
2: up there. <laughs> um, oh gosh, what else? That was all, yeah,
1: so, so, in a way, you still would have a very typical first year on a station, you know young 18 away from home making new friends being in love having fun yeah or maybe not in love because obviously like you said you guys broke up (laughs) but yeah you know but Um, it's all the other things that come with being young and out of home not for the first time because you'd been up at yannery the year before but in a new place meeting new people having new experiences
2: I i was very lucky to meet another jackaroo who was just as gorgeous once again still really really good friends with him Um, and I think that also helped the experience because we got along really well. We worked really well together. Um, yeah. And that was, that was actually, it was funny. That relationship with this other Jackaroo, um, taught me respect, like how much respect you need in love. And not that we were in love, but just in life in general. Like if you're going to have a, Good relationship with someone, um, having that respect of their work and their ethics, um, and their abilities and stuff for me has become really, really important. And I think that's based a lot on those, those early relationships.
1: I love it. Probably why I'm still single today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause we've got such high standards. Just saying that,
2: yeah, the standards are really bit... high really quick. It's not cause they're a bit.
1: <laughs> Weird and have expired or anything, but you know we've just
2: passed. <laughs> Screening at thirty, but anyway,
1: <laughs> hey, at least you're not there yet. Um, so after Alex, what you know, so you finish out the season there. Did you have any more of an idea of? You know, we we kind of spoken about that when you came out of school as well. You weren't really sure what you wanted to do. It's kind of a natural progression to to head up to Yannery, and well, you know, you you always been around station people. You knew the family, you knew the community. So it was kind of a, you know, and then obviously, um, mum and, you know, in love and big adventures, being young, um, going up to the territory to, yeah. um, what, where did you think you were headed after that?
2: I had no idea. Absolutely no idea. I remember when I left, so I had to come home, um, a little bit early. So I didn't actually get to finish the season at all. So I sort of came late and left early. Um, and I, yeah, that was a very teary day leaving Alex, but we got there in the end. So I came home. I had to come home for Landor races, um, because it was Mum's memorial race and it was a bit of a family, yeah, like, so the, the, um, the ladies bracelet, uh, oh, actually, I don't know if it was lady bracelet or the Mount Clare handicap were, you know, um, run in m- m- memory of Mum. Um, and so I came home and I was like, right, well, there's no point going back to the Territory because they only had like a month left to work anyway. And I will admit by then I was starting to question my passion for the beef industry um, and I felt like I wanted to try something else. And I'd always loved kids. Um, I always thought I was really good with kids and so I was like, oh, I want to be a governess because I didn't want to leave the station life, but I wanted to try something different. Um so I'd already been the cook, and as much as I did love that, yeah, sort of I, I really wanted to touch on my bases. So I um so I went home. I ended up going on a bit of a road trip with a couple of friends. Once again, this time got thrown in the door I think of a patrol. <laughs> Of my cousin's patrol, and we um, did a, a really cool road trip through like country South Australia um, and New South Wales. I ended up working at a pub in West Wylong. Um, yeah, it was a bit of a whirlwind. Ended back up in Queensland with the Jackaroo boyfriend.
1: From Napo? Uh, yes, from Napo. Oh, that home, that's yes. exciting. Was um, he on this road trip as
2: well? No, he wasn't. I drove up to, I bought a ute in Gundagai and yeah, drove up to. Yeah, where where he was in Queensland and um We're
1: gonna have to Facebook stalk him later. I don't know who it was.
2: <laughs> he's a sweetie. Um he's got three kids and a missus now, so <laughs> settle downstairs.
1: No, I just want not for me, Greece. I mean I just wanna know who this boy was that you drove across the country for uh, anyway. I think
2: I've sacrificed a lot for men in my life now that I think about it. So.
1: That's all right, we'll get to that. Don't worry. Oh, that yeah. part of the therapy session's still coming.
2: <laughs> so yeah, um spent Christmas in Queensland. And got a job uh, on a cattle station just north of Julia Creek. Um, I was governessing um, for two kids, um, which actually turned into probably as I was much of an au pair as I was a governess. So I was pretty much like staying home, everything to these kids. I would um, get them out of bed in the morning and not every morning, but most mornings would, you know, um, get them ready for school, teach them, um, so I'd do school with them, you know, from 7 till 3, say, and then in the afternoon I would do jobs around the house, um, feed animals, potty calves, look after the kids because the parents um, were probably two of the hardest working people um, I've worked for in a long time. And they, yeah, they just needed someone to stay at home with their kids and, and raise them. And I guess because... It would have been all right if I didn't know what I was missing out on, but because I was missing out on it, I came a little bit resentful of what was going on. And What
1: what do you mean, sorry, that what you were missing out on?
2: So they were out in the paddock, you know, mustering and processing cows while I was back at the house um, teaching the kids, which I'd put myself in that position. So I was 100% responsible for um, how I was feeling. Um, and I, I will admit, I didn't last long. Um, it was, it was tough. And I think it was a mix of, I think reality was starting to hit me. I think everything was starting to sink in. Um, another relationship was breaking down around me. Um, and my world just came crumbling down. So I decided that it was best that I moved on from there. Um, got back in my ute. I, some reason, ended up back in Bundaberg without a clutch. Um, <laughs> that's a story for another day. And then proceeded to drive. So then drove all the way from Bundaberg, up, you know, back across the top, and and back down and home. So I would have been
1: 19. I wasn't yet 20. So yeah, I drove across Australia by myself. Don't mind my um. I'm trying to think, there's like a word for it. It's like, um. Insane. No, like (laughs) cereal box psychology or something, you know, you know, like, you know, like I've read it from a book or off the back of a cereal box, something, but do you think, um, I don't know. I'm pretty sure that's not the phrase, but I'm going to make that now. Cereal box psychology. (laughs) Um, do you think part of the struggling with that gubby role is that you, as you said, you were a lot, well, this is another issue for for another day, but the role of a governess is very different from property to property, whether you're governess, nanny, whether you're a school tutor, you know, old pair, like.
2: And I think that was another issue was I had other govies in my ear about how fantastic their job was. And I remember, and I do remember talking to my boss about this and being like, you know, I'm struggling. like, And, you know, and she said, well, this is kind of what you signed up for. And she's a hundred percent right. I did not go into that job blind. I knew what I was going in for. And I guess it's one of the things where I used to get really excited about these things and be like, yeah, yeah, I can do this. I can handle it. And, um, little things that would be like little, little flashing red lights in the background. Uh, I'd be like, Oh, no, it won't bother me. Uh, that won't worry me. And I remember her saying, um, uh, so two things she said to me was: Will the boyfriend be an issue? Like, because we weren't going to get to see each other very often, and um, will you be okay knowing that we're out in the paddock working and you're at home? And I went, Oh yeah, of course it will be. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Next minute you're sitting by the two way radio with a pair of binoculars yeah. out in the field, being like, What's happening? What's happening? What are yeah, you guys doing?
2: Yeah, yeah, and and uh, oh, like the, I was so young, I I didn't. I didn't know what I was in for in that, you know, like emotionally,
1: but in so. that, in that cereal box psychology, I, I just had a thought, and again, this is me literally just off the cuff, like talking, nothing um, of any credibility, probably. But your role as a as a guffy was very full on, and you said, you know, you were at times raising those children, so you were a mother figure. Oh, and you were somebody who just lost a mother. Mm. Not again to keep bringing your mum yeah. up. But as I said, guess she's, we're going to, she's going to keep coming up in this episode, mm. but you're also, aside from, it, you it know, could have just been the role, but you were also having to be yeah. a mother figure.
2: Yeah. And I, it's funny. Cause like I think I said in, in my previous episode, mum and I were very, very close when I lost her. Like we were on the phone you know, two or three times a day. Um, we probably had some of our best conversations when I was 700 k's away from her. Um, and so I think, yeah, and and I'm not going to lie, my parents were, used a lot of tough love. Um, you know, my parents were relatively strict on me because I was a bit of a rat bag of a kid. They had to be.
1: Still are, but yeah.
2: Yeah, some things never change. <laughs> um, but, so yeah, so having that, yeah you know, i I guess I expected these kids to um you know deal with me being i was i was strict I look back at myself and think I was so strict on those kids part of it was uh because I was terrified of them getting hurt in my um in my care and that is why we have public liability people <laughs> there for a reason. Ah, Broken arm,
1: call my insurance agent. Sorry.
2: Well, yeah. And it's one of those things that we live and we learn. And I think if i you know, went back in now and did it again, I think I'd be a lot more relaxed. Cause I'd be like, you want to climb that tank stand after I've told you not to? Go for your life. <laughs> I'll record it while I'm sitting here telling you not to do it. You know, and so I think I I put a lot of pressure on myself. And I did. I put a lot of my pressure on myself um, in the schoolroom with those kids, and um, I I couldn't live up to my own expectations. And that, yeah, that was another reason why I just had to get out of there. So, yeah, and come home.
1: <laughs> did you stay home for very long?
2: Um, yeah, I did. I must. Uh, I think I was home by uh, Easter, so April May. Um and oh so my sister was having her first baby so that was pretty cool to come home and and watch her go through her final stages of the pregnancy and then she was getting married at the end of the year so it was it was nice to be home for all that and but farm the farm like so working on the farm was not what i i didn't like it and I'm sorry dad, but I really didn't love working on the farm back then. It was boring. It was mundane. It was small. The romance wasn't there. Um, you know, I couldn't go on a windmill run for three
1: hours. Say, so when you say small, what is the size of your family farm?
2: Uh, we're oh, about four and a half thousand acres. <laughs> I get this wrong every time.
1: Even though one is 2.25. Size oh, of the other. Don't yeah. Either way, whether
2: it's, whether it's
1: 4,000 acres or 4,000 hectares, that's still a significant size for a farm. Well, when well, you're going
2: from 4.8 million hectares. Yeah. For acres, yeah. Though. Um, I know to- the north kind of
1: ruins it for you. Hey. Yeah. It's not
2: great.
1: That's like one time I told my friend her station wasn't a real station because it was only 40,000 acres. <laughs> I was like, Oh, yeah, no, but you know, real stations. And she's like, this is a real station. Yeah. And I was like, no, it's not. And then I was like, Oh, bad, yeah. Well, the, bad the, move. the
2: properties around Julia Creek are quite small too, but because they've got, you know, they're on really good growing soil. Um, they run just as many cattle. Um, so hence why they're, they, they're so viable because they're,
1: yeah, yeah, a small acreage. So, it. so the farm wasn't where you saw yourself then without going through, I suppose everything you've done. And since then, what are some of the things you found yourself doing? Over the next couple of years, because I suppose the, it's not so much about what you did, like specifically, but I guess what we'll get to is the fact is that you kept moving and trying different things mm. and you've, you've, you, yeah. you've kind of just been trying your hand at everything and
2: pretty much. Yeah. So, um, 2013 saw me, um, au pairing. So I was like, right. I fa-, and it failed, but I, you know, um The governessing thing was too much pressure. Um, I'll give a pairing a go and ended back up in the Pilbara um, with three most beautiful kids who I'm still really close with today um, and a family who I'm still really close with and um, did that for eight months. Yeah, sort of left there. Um, I think I did end up back on the farm again over summer um once again another boyfriend found his way in there somehow <laughs> um which and that ended in february of 2014 and dad turned around to me one day and he goes "Rado, you're single you're jobless you're going to america and i was like oh okay righto <laughs> won't say no to that <laughs> so um come april i found myself on a plane to california um stayed with friends in California, um, just lapping up experiences really. I was really lucky I got to go out to um, a cow horse ranch in um, – so I was around like – I was south of San Francisco. So I was beautiful mountainous country, you know, volcanic soils, a lot of grapes get grown there. So you can imagine the wine um, and I think – so I would have been – I think I was 21 by this day. Oh, yeah, you no, know, I was definitely 21. Um, and I was just like this little wide-eyed, you know, Australian backpacker <laughs> in America. Um, so, yeah, so I was staying with like really good old um, family friends and they looked after me so well. And then from there I shipped myself up to Wyoming where I got to work on a, um, a fattening ranch uh, just south of Jackson. So I spent a lot of time in Jackson Hole, which is just beautiful. I got to go through the Tetons and Yellowstone, saw grizzly bears and elk and bison and, like, all this really, really cool stuff. Um, got to live the ranching life and lived out in, like, a little log cabin. Um, it snowed. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous how cold it has to get before it snows. <laughs> um, I'd never seen snow before, so that was like a massive thing for me and a huge highlight to the trip. From there I went up to Calgary Stampede where um, – What well, did you just call it? Calgary Stampede. Oh,
1: it just sounded – I must have just not heard it right and I thought you said it like slightly different and I'm just thinking of yesterday we made a little um, Pips Looking for a Husband video and she said she was a fourth <laughs> generator farmer. <laughs> And I was like, do you mean generation? Fourth oh, generation?
2: My and then. rain brain doesn't work 100%. Then we recorded of the, time. the
1: video a second time and she still said, I'm a fourth generator farmer. So I just thought you'd like butchered Calgary was as well. i
2: looking for a mechanically minded husband, all right? I'm trying to. <laughs> send Hopefully out one my with vibes. some better English skills
1: too. <laughs> anyway, sorry, back to Calgary Stampede. Okay, yeah, so
2: went to Calgary Stampede, got to catch up with um, a heap of Aussie mates. Probably actually more, met more Aussies in. Calgary than I did Canadians, um, and then ended up back down in North Dakota um, with fam, like well, like extended family, um, and once again just got to live more of an agricultural, like so a lot of farming. Um, I ended up spending a lot of time with a beautiful couple who lived out on a ranch. They had no children, and they would ride out every day rain, hail, or shine and check their cows and every cow had a name and they would have had like 150 cows and every cow was named, all their calves had a number, like they would rope and brand their calves as they were born. Um, It was incredible. So spending a lot of time with them, they taught me how to rope off a horse. Um, They just took me in as that like, yeah, I could have stayed there forever with them. Um, but the time was I, I got itchy feet and I headed off, I bought a, a car and I drove from North Dakota, pretty much beelined it straight for the East Coast. So I, I think I hit the coast somewhere around Carolina, I think. I've, well, my memory's not great. And then just, um, hopped the whole way down, all the way down the South East Coast, all the way to Texas and ended up in Texas on um, once again, friends of friends. Um, working for a, two incredible Aussies, um, Selena and Eddie Flynn, who I've heard mentioned in a couple of podcasts around. And I was just so privileged to work to them, to work for them. They were just, yeah, they, I literally rocked up on their doorstep and was like, can I have a job? <laughs> and they took me in and I worked my ass off and I learned heaps and I learned so much respect. For how they handle their horses. It was so different how I handled my horses. Um, and, you know, they let me go to shows. You know, they, I still got a hat that they gave me because I had to have a, a cowboy hat to ride at these shows. And, um, yeah, so all, I don't know, it was just all these. I was so blessed traveling around America to, to be welcomed into people's homes and, um, once again, if I did it again, I would do it so differently. And I do remember coming home being a bit like, Oh, you know, I didn't get to do this and I didn't get to do that. Whereas now I look back on it and go, yeah, but I got to do this and <laughs> I got to do that. And, um, especially with the world the way it is now, I'm so grateful I
1: got to do that. So as soon as the borders open up, guys, high tail
2: out here, <laughs> like go live it. Cause it's, it was so worth it.
1: When you say you would do it differently, what do you mean?
2: Um I <laughs> funny story. So I nearly got deported the day I flew in to San Francisco. Be-
1: second person on this podcast to say that.
2: Yes, I don't know who you're talking <laughs> Hashtag about. Hashtag Lucy Daly. Yeah. <laughs> I feel you I feel you, sis. Um yeah, I because I didn't have a flight booked home, um and because <laughs> I was so blonde. <laughs> I've gone in um, and I thought that I got a 12-month visa. They don't exist. <laughs> um, so, my! at the checkout has gone, oh, so how long are you planning on staying? I'm like, oh, yeah, 12 months. And he's like, uh, to the right, please. <laughs> and I was sort of, yeah, put in an interview room. I wasn't allowed to take Anything in with me, all, all my, um, information about the people who I was staying with and all my contact numbers, everything were written in my diary. And I said, can I please bring my diary in so I can show you where I'm staying? Cause I couldn't spell the name of the people who I was staying with. It was a really hard Jewish name. And, um, and like, no, you, you can't bring it in. And I was like, oh, Christ, okay. So I've sat there and I've tried, like, I have no memory retention. So I couldn't even remember the road these people lived on. They learned the name of the little Mexican town that they live you know. Like, And, um, yeah, they were so close to putting me on a plane to come back home. I was in tears. I was crying to this poor, poor security guard saying, please don't send me home. <laughs> And obviously the tears worked because, um, yeah, he let me in and was like, well, whatever you do, don't – because I didn't have a working visa. Um, He's like, whatever you do, don't work. Even if you're not getting paid, do not work. Um, And I'm like, yes, sir. And so I didn't work. I experienced.
1: (laughs) really hope nobody in U.S. customs listens to this episode. No,
2: I'm not rushing back (laughs) anytime soon. (laughs)
1: So you have this whirlwind. You know, how long were you over there for?
2: Six and a half months.
1: How did you? Is that because you? Is that why you went to Canada halfway through to like reset? No,
2: no, nah, that didn't make any difference. Um, no, the reason I was over there for six and a half months was because I was meant to fly back up to Canada before I left. So on like the six month mark, I was meant to fly up to Canada. But how do
1: you even get six months?
2: I had a six month visa. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Don't ask me how I got that.
1: That's uh, all right. I currently have one for five years. So, uh, low. <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> yeah, no, so, And, but the, what happened was I was meant to fly up to Canada and catch up with some girlfriends and we were going to do a quick road trip around, you know, um, out to somewhere in the mountains. And then we we're going to fly home from Canada because the, um, I know we we're going to fly from Canada to Dallas because the Dallas to Sydney flight had just become a thing and um anyway that all got cancelled and I'm like well I can't like I'm not I'm not going up to Canada and spending two weeks in Canada by myself says the girl who had just traveled USA so purely like all by herself um and I think I was so in love with my job in sorry it wasn't a job with my experience in Texas um I didn't want to leave and so I just sort of yeah stayed in Texas for it was nearly
1: three weeks an extra three weeks so, after that six months in America, what, you know, what was, I feel like I keep saying this, but what was next <laughs> without, without getting a blow by blow of every single thing you did? You know, what, what yeah. was the gist of?
2: Um, chapter five? <laughs> chapter 55. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yes. had to come home. Yes. I came home, um, and I owed dad a bit of money. So, um. I was working on the farm for him for 12 months um, just paying him back more than anything, um, which uh, I said I wasn't going to go on about this um, and apologies, but I think that was the year that I realised I had mental health issues. Um, I wasn't happy at all. I mean, I, I, yeah, um, the farm didn't fill my romantic ideas of what life was all about. Um. Yeah i I remember saying to myself, um, then that I really, really need to get help. I knew that I had mental health issues right back from uh, before I went to America. Um, but I'd always been able to manage them and stay on top of it. And now all of a sudden, I was really getting like low lows and finding it really hard to pick myself self up out of them. Um, so instead of going and getting help, I ran away back to the bush.
1: (laughs) Tale as old as time. Uh, Because as we all know, mental health doesn't, well, not that it doesn't exist in the bush, but you're not going to get many people asking you about it. You're not going to have much access to services. So if you want to avoid it, it's a great place to go. It is
2: a great place to go. And- um, for me, that was sarcastic,
1: by the way, it's not great to avoid. No, me, so, God, no, just- no, sorry.
2: No, do not avoid your mental health. Um, but for me, because the bush was where I wanted to be, it put a band aid on it and, um, it made everything seem better. Um, and for a while, I, uh, well, for, so I went contract mustering, um, all around, mostly around Meekithara Shire. Um. Yeah, I think that was about five or six different properties that over about three years I would go do their mustering. Um, absolutely loved it. I lived the life of a gypsy. Um, yeah, I one of those things I, I always had the farm as a base, so I'd always end up coming back to the farm for summer, which was handy because that's when dad was his busiest with cattle work. So I would literally be doing cattle work all year round I don't think I had to suffer a Midwest winter for four years, <laughs> um, which is fantastic. Um, yeah, and so then I was working at the feedlot here in Geraldton because um, it was just down the road and I got picked up by an export company and got offered a job on a live export boat. Um, and that was a bit of a whirlwind because within, I think, a week I was sailing to Indonesia.
1: So you've had all these, you, you kind of continued on this path of going off, having adventures, and then you kind of come home, not necessarily because you want to, or not, not because you're like, Oh, I want to go and work on the farm, but it's like, Oh, well, there's some downtime mm. and the farm's just like a place to come back to yeah. more cause, you know, or, or I need some money, better come back yeah. and work on the farm. So it's more of a, it was kind of more out of necessity in a way than yeah. this is my dream. I want to come back and live at the farm. Which no, is definitely sort of- wasn't my dream. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and and I and yeah, now here I am, reverting back to mum. Um, I think it is always in the back of my mind um that if mum hadn't have passed away, I don't think I ever would have come back. Um I think I probably would have ended up, you know, going to New South Wales or Queensland and you know, picking up a pretty good life over there, and I think I probably would have settled down a lot quicker. Um, but because of the situation that my family was in, I always felt like I had to come home. And, you know, I.
1: We're so aware of that life is so short and they might not be here tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, yep. I, I. And like- dad was
2: on the farm, not by himself, but, um, you know, there wasn't, we've got, you know, we are surrounded by beautiful family, but, um, there was no one stepping up to take over the farm. And there was part of me that was always like, well, come on. When are you going to step up? Like, you know, you've got to, you got to come home and work on the farm. But, and I kept forcing myself to want to come home to the farm. And, um, I guess it, it took me until 2018. Um, so skipping forward quite a few years because it all gets kind of boring there for a while. Um, Yeah, skipping forward a few years, I went to a station on a whim. uh, (laughs) So went on another live export boat um, at the very end of, uh, oh, no, sorry, it was after my first live export boat at the very end of 2017. Got a phone call from my mate as I'm in the hotel room in, I think I was in Lampung, waiting to come home again on Christmas Day. And he rang me up to say Merry Christmas, and then he goes, "Oh, by the way, what are you doing next year?" And I'm like, "Oh, I don't know. Like, oh, I might do this, might do that." And he's like, "Oh, do you feel like coming over to Queensland and giving me a hand on the farm? I need a, a worker, and we had met at a um, preg testing and spaying clinic in Queensland. Um, and he's like, "I kind of want someone who you know can preg test and spay, so that we can bounce off ideas off each other." And and radio, radio, I'm like, "Yep, no worries." So, um, in February, I found myself on a plane to Charters Towers and spent a month with them. And the plan was, was to go spend a month with them. And if I decided that it's where I wanted to be, I would then come home, pack up my gear and move to Queensland. And it was that month that made me realize how lucky I was to have my own farm waiting for me, at, you know, back in Western Australia. And it, made me realize that working for other people wasn't going to make me happy. Um, I needed to come home and fill my own cup. So that was a a really valuable lesson that, um, you know, unfortunately for them they missed out on a worker. But for me that was exactly what I needed at that that point in life. It was an
1: experience that gave you some clarity. A lot of clarity. Which is kind of what you've spent the last 10 years Looking oh, yeah, for,
2: looking for, yeah. And cause I was working for, a, um, some, like my mate and his mum and dad. So watching, yeah, and his dad, um, you know, may his soul rest in peace. Um, he, they got along very similar to how my dad and I get along. And so I was literally looking in the mirror when I was watching these two work together and it made me incredibly homesick considering I'd spent so much time away from home. And all of a sudden I was like, no, I'm really homesick. I want to go home and take on this opportunity that has been given to me. So um, it didn't help that I had maybe <laughs> left a boyfriend at home. <laughs> um, so I came home um, and was like, righto, Dad. No, I'm coming home. I'm committing. I'm going to be a farmer. And so that was – 2019. Um, Yeah, 2019. I did another live export boat that year. Um, And I learned, I, I definitely got put in more of a managerial role. I mean, I was 27, 28 by this stage as well. So I had a lot more life experience. Dad could sort of point me in a direction and I could go do a job without him looming over my shoulder all the time. Um, and I think in myself, because I was ready to come home, I wanted to be there. I wasn't always looking at the clock, wondering when I could piss off to the pub. Um, so yeah, my whole perspective on everything had changed for me, um, just from that one little month.
1: And this is where you are today as well. I mean, there's, there's, a you know, been a short stint away from home between then and now, um, but you're back here the farm today, and this is what you, what you do. So it's been a long, windy road. Mm, the full, 10 year gap year. <laughs> yeah. The 10 year gap year, as you call it, but so full of experiences. It's, you know, while you, you've said you weren't sure what you wanted to do or you didn't really know what you were looking for, you filled these 10 years with experiences. You've traveled the world. You've met people. You've, you know, formed relationships, friendships. Mm. Um, Fallen in
2: love a lot. Yeah. And, and had my heart broken a lot. But I think, once again, um, I I think I learnt what most people probably experience in about three or four years. <laughs> it took me ten years, um, but I would not change it for the world.
1: I don't know if you can say not. <laughs> like having a got you. Like, I don't know if anyone can say that everyone else learns three or four years. I think some people, honestly, take some thirty or forty years to yeah. to figure. out oh, different. things different.
2: out. Um, but just the whole like, I went, you know, ten years without a career as such, or like or that's such, or a societal,
1: I yeah, that's such a um, societal.
2: Yeah, But I actually didn't know what oh, sorry. um I didn't know what I wanted to
1: do. But that's such a social construction that you're supposed to go through school, pick a career, come out of school, study or train, get that career, keep it for life.
2: Make have the love of ha- your life, get married, have, have a, kids. Have blah, a mortgage, blah,
1: blah. have one holiday a year where the kids are screaming in the backseat of the car, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um That's such a – you know, I, I have done just as many different things as you and not had a – a, a defined career mm-hmm. as well and I love it. I'm like, can I swear? It's my <laughs> podcast. <I'm gonna laughs> swear if I want. And bugger it. Um I don't think, you know, you've you can't measure the value of a life or measure your success or achievements or anything by whether or not you've had this and I'm using the, the air bunnies a career because mm-hmm. you've spent ten years, you've traveled the world. You've have, you have have you this wealth of experience You've and you've not just been sitting around watching Netflix, you know, doing nothing, never leaving wherever you are. You went to – you are and mm. it's quite actually impressive. So, you did a preg testing in Spain schools or just preg testing?
2: Uh, no, preg testing in Spain. Spain
1: school in Queensland and in WA, touchy subject, um, certainly gets my hackles up, but um, basically – no lay protesters or not really. Um, but you have managed to get signed yeah, off and I'm accredited, accredited yeah, to do it yeah. in WA, which is basically there's not very many of you. It, otherwise, yeah. it has to be done by a vet, even if it's on your own property with your own herd for internal management purposes. Anyway, don't get me started oh. on that because I will rant till the cows come home. And actually, I don't have any actually,
2: I'm um, just on that. If anyone wants to talk to me about yeah. that. I'm an open book. Um, I'm, I'm with Steph on this. I think that the laws behind it are bullshit. Um, uh, pun intended. But yeah, it's, um, I'm, when it comes to management, herd management, land management, pasture management, whatever you want to call it, management in a whole, I am really, really passionate about it. And, um, I don't, I think because it's so bloody hard for people to get around these, um, laws and stuff. Um, the, it's, it's putting people back 10 years. Um, and it, you know, it was, it was really difficult being in, in states like Queensland and that where their laws were different and, um, a little bit more flexible. I, I can't even remember what the laws were as such, but it, there's a reason why Queensland's, um, pastoral sort of, um society is so far ahead of WA because they their management is so much easier um on on so many different levels and that's that's a pay, that's a yeah, like, we'll that's another, another conversation another day I'm an open book so any yeah. questions hit them, yeah so on my way
1: so really you know while you may feel like you you have certainly haven't followed a traditional path yeah. but you're I wouldn't say that the last 10 years have been any less successful or um, mm. you've achieved any less or anything.
2: I guess that's more of a reflection of myself, or like my own reflection on it um, in the way that there was always – I put a lot of pressure on myself.
1: Society um, puts the pressure on us as well. Like we're given a pretty rigid template of yeah. how life is supposed to go.
2: And I also think um, being a woman in ag, it's I, – I, I, it's funny. I've never really given much of a damn what other people think about me um, and I've probably ruffled a fair few feathers for having that attitude. Um, but so I don't know if it was really – like I never felt society's pressure on me to brush out and get a career, hence why it took me 10 years to be like, oh, okay, hang on, this is what I actually want to do. Um, so I don't – I'm not going to blame anyone else but myself for the way – that my life has gone. Um, but um, I definitely will say that I myself put a lot of pressure on me to be something. I was constantly trying to be someone. And um I definitely said so that on one side, I was putting a lot of pressure on myself, but then I also lacked a lot of confidence to go out and be that someone. And I was constantly having this mental argument with myself over, um, you know, well, you need to go do something. Oh, I can't do that. <laughs> it was like having the two little, you know, angels on my shoulder. It was, a, yeah. And, um, once again, back to your mental health, that, that played a huge part in it. Um, you know, I, I said in my last episode, I was, you know in the end diagnosed with anxiety which i didn't even know what anxiety was really um i thought it was just everyone felt like this <laughs> um so that made a huge once i've sort of learned about that that helped um but also all my friends were going to uni and getting married and having kids and it was watching that and seeing their happiness and Their comfort with, within themselves for me was really, really difficult because all I wanted was that. I just wanted to settle down preferably on a station with a really good looking husband (laughs) and raise, you know, beautiful children who would grow up just how I grew up at Mount Clare. That was all I wanted. And I think I wanted it so desperately that I pushed it further and further away from myself. And, um, I mean, yeah, like I do, I, like I said, I sit here, I'm nearly 30 and I'm still single. <laughs> um, but I'm also the happiest that I've ever been right here and now. So, kind of wouldn't give it up for the world.
1: <laughs> well, that seems like a pretty good note to sort of start wrapping up on. Um, that, you know, you've come full circle. Well, I don't know if that's the right expression because I feel like full circle means you kind of end up where you started, which you certainly haven't. So, not full circle. I've I've come full
2: circle, but I've got a really, really heavy bag of experiences (laughs)
1: that I'm dragging along behind me. Hopefully it has wheels (laughs) (laughs) because ain't nobody got time to like put your posture out of alignment, lagging something (laughs) uh, around. So what, you know, for people listening, what would you say has been the takeaway lesson over this past decade you know, as you said, like you, you really are, and you kind of have seemed to have hit this sweet spot now as well, particularly. Um, and it's taken you, you know, you've worked 10 years to get to where you are. You've worked, you've lived, you've worked in life, but you've also mm. worked on yourself. Um, what, what are the things you live by now? And what, I suppose, do you wish you'd known back then?
2: Um, so I've got two sort of, oh, actually, I've got three mantras. Um, one of them I picked up, uh, I, yeah, I was about mid twenties, and it was do the best you can until you know better and then do better. And that for me was really like hit home because I was like, just as long as you do the best you can do, um, and you know, and you try and you learn and you do better and you're constantly improving. Like that's the best you can do. And people will recognize that and appreciate that. And especially the line of working that line of work that I was in at the time. So I was contract mustering. So I was working on different properties all the time. I was working in different environments and I was constantly improving. But I couldn't I was so um um uh, I guess I was still a little bit lost, to be completely honest. Um, so I was, I was still sort of that, that lost. And as soon as I found that mantra, I went, no, I'm I'm doing the best damn job I can do. And if they don't like it, well, <laughs> I, yeah. I. So that helped me a lot, um, I guess, sort of become a better person. Um, I still had a lot of improvement to do, but we got there in the end. Well, we're getting – we are always improving. Um My second, um, is one that my dad recently told me and it is the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and inspecting something to change. And that goes back to mental health hugely. I mean, you can just, it's not something dad, I don't dad made it up, but, um, it's something that he definitely lives by now that if something's not working, you need to change something. Um, or you will go insane <laughs> and then the third one is manage monitor manage repeat um, and so yeah, it's once again that touches on everything as far as um, you know land management um, yeah everything it's it's a very holistic sort of statement I think and um, yeah so yeah monitor manage repeat everything
0: Ag Workforce specialises in recruiting for agricultural jobs, including farm work, station work and agribusiness across Australia. View current jobs, advertise a position or register as a job seeker at agworkforce.com.au.
1: If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or leave us a review. It really helps other people find our podcast. You can find our website at centralstation.net.au where we have over 1,200 stories published from across Northern Australia. All of our podcast episodes, a tourism directory for visiting an outback cattle station, and training and employment resources. We're on Facebook at Central Station, True Stories from Outback Australian Cattle Stations, and we're on Instagram at centralstation.net.au, and we're also on Twitter at centralstation6. To discuss this episode with other listeners, head on over to our Facebook group, Central Station Podcast.